Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. Hope everybody's having a phenomenal day. Uh, we have a very special treat for you today. We have a doubleheader representative. Tom McKay was on first, and now we have one of my favorite representatives in the whole entire state on the show today. And I'm sorry, Tom, I did not introduce you that way, but I do introduce Representative Allard that way. She is awesome. She was one of the folks in Anchorage who stood up to all the COVID stuff that was happening, lockdowns and masks and mandates. She was one of the only people that stood up for the everyday person in Anchorage. And she was loud and proud and she did not hold back. And man, uh, everyday common folks in Anchorage have you to thank for possibly stopping some ludicrous stuff that could have potentially happened. Now you're in the house and that is very exciting. So without further ado, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, Representative Allard. Oh, thank you. Thanks, John. You, you, you could just call me Jamie, though, but we do that every single time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited that you're on the show today. We have some fun topics to talk, talk about. I think the first thing I'd love to hear your thought process on, on is just, you know, last couple of days of session. Tell, walk us through your perspective on that. A lot of people um, maybe just, you know, they're not inside political folks, and so they don't hear all the details or maybe they just heard that we had a special session that only lasted a day and they don't understand why. So walk us through what happened those last couple of days and why there was a special session. Uh, the special session was just based on the Senate um, really just not respecting the House and a lot of folks' opinions on that. So we decided that we, as a group, we were going to, at that point, fight it. Um, and then things shifted very quickly um, within, I don't, I don't think we lasted a day, um, shifted and individuals in the, the caucus decided that they wanted to be able to um, get some items for their district and their capital budget and that's for them to decide. And once um, they had enough votes, that's what happened. So when I say they had enough votes, uh, session was over because the majority of the individuals in the minority and the majority concurred with yeah. the Senate. So typically getting a budget the day before session is probably not super helpful. Why do you think that happened? It seems like the most ludicrous power play ever for long-term fiscal stability. Uh, you know, it was great power play for the Senate. Um, yeah. They're completely in control, right? So you have 20 individuals that are running the state, whether they're all together on it or not, it doesn't matter. They are the Senate and they're really virtually controlling the state. Um, yeah, I think one of the mistakes was we get, we handed over our operating budget without getting our capital budget. And in order to do that, you literally are standing in the hallway, you both look at the document and you, you switch right at the same time. And it's no fault of our leadership, I would say. They trusted them. These are humans. And um, our leadership trusted Senate to give us back that capital budget, handing it over. It's like um, 
in a time of war, like you're sitting there on your horses and you're exchanging information and you're like, okay, my word is my honor. And that's not what happened. So the house kind of got duped. Do you think, uh, how was your first session? I mean, what do you, um, what do you want to tell folks that, you know, maybe they're thinking about running for a local office. They don't know exactly what they're getting into. You had the fortune, you had the fortune of serving in the Anchorage assembly for a while and then moving over to the house. Tell us what it was like that first session. It was interesting. I had to um, pivot quite a bit with the Anchorage assembly. I knew what I was getting at all times. So working with the liberals, they never lied. They said, this is what we're going to do. We have the votes to do it. And oh, well, and I'm like, okay, um, working in the house. I don't always know where people are coming from, even if they're part of my own party. Then everybody seems to hold their cards really close to their chest. I understand that. I'm more of a person. What you see is what you get. I'm, I base on honesty and integrity. And I might have swore a little bit too much um, in our caucus <laughs> meetings because you know, it's, it's not a good thing. Um, I'll pray a little bit more, but um, sometimes I don't have the words that I want to use to express myself. And I got a little upset a few times and all of us did. Mm -hmm. It's a little frustrating because you're bringing 23 people together to try to figure out how are we going to maneuver this? But I respect all of them. They represent their district. We also represent the state and it could be a little frustrating uh, when we, can't seem to come together as a majority of how to proceed. So it, it's, it's a little frustrating sometimes. What do you think your biggest takeaway was looking back and reflecting on, you know, maybe something that happened that you were pleasantly surprised with? Oh, oh, you know what? It was getting along with everybody else on the other side. Um, I was really surprised. And, it's not, and maybe it's because I didn't work with them every single moment of every single day, but it was um, working with the Democrats and in the independents. I had a blast. I think everybody was super kind. Um, I like everybody. There were a couple of representatives that I would question their ethics. Um, I would say that they probably should be kicked out of office. Um, they should be expelled. And I think eventually the public needs to know um, I think some of the things that happened were at the level of a criminal activity wow. and it's disheartening. Yeah. But other than that, there was, um, I would say probably uh, 38 <laughs> or 37 individuals um, that deserved to be there. They earned their way through and um, you know, whether the courts decided it or not, they were there. That's yeah. it. And I enjoyed working with everybody. You know, you, you got to do certain things to get certain bills passed. And if you're working on a bill that's nonpartisan, why wouldn't you want everybody to join on? It's for the betterment of the state. So, so um, one of the things that kind of came down the pipeline this year was um, initially like a huge increase to BSA, which is a base student allocation for folks listening. It's essentially how much the state pays per kid into the school districts. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, you know, your stance on yeah. if you think it's got traction for next year, kind of give us your rundown on it. It does have traction for next year because now they're going to set the bar higher and higher. So the education system in the state gets 2.6 billion with a B dollars 
and everybody thinks, oh, it's just the BSA. That's not true. We get federal grants. We get state and local money. We get um, other funds that go all to the school districts. And even the ARPA funds or COVID funds, one of the things that's interesting is that there were um, $242 million left from the COVID funds. So you're actually looking at this year's budget with $2.9 billion to go to our education system. That's a lot of money. And so when they were arguing about the BSA, I was fine giving them the, the BSA at the 680. I came to that point. At first, I wasn't. But I was only on fine with it if they cut $242 million because that was the ARPA funds that still hadn't been used. So it would have offset it. And I believe we could have cut that, but I couldn't get majority of folks on board to do that. So that was frustrating, but um, there's a lot of work to still be done and we need to do the foundation formula over again. So next year, do you imagine them starting at an even higher number? I think at one point it was $1,300 or something like that they were asking for initially. Um, 100%. And yeah, yeah, 100%. And one of the things we should have done, and I, I said this over and over, the BSA should have been held back. That should have been, and I know a lot of people be frustrated with me saying it, that should have been a negotiating tool. Shouldn't have done anything with, shouldn't have signed off on that BSA. Um, the majority, we shouldn't have until uh, we got what we needed for the rest of the state. Uh, it's expensive. It ends up being about $250 million because of all the formula transitioning all the way through. And it's, um, there's no guarantee that fund is going to stay in the classroom. And they said, well, the first people that would be fired are teachers, which is shocking. It should be uh, cut back. You shouldn't fire your teachers. And then teachers were complaining that they needed more money so they can get pay raises. And I said on public record a half a billion times <laughs> that in order for that to happen, you need to talk to your union and your school district. We are not in charge of your salaries. Yeah. But as long as they keep rolling over for what their unions want or the NEA, that's what they're going to get is low salaries. Yeah, it's um, it's an unfortunate problem that doesn't seem to want to solve itself because then they wouldn't have a reason to ask for more money um, in the first place. And, um, you know, we're fortunate. I'm fortunate where I live in Nikiski. We have awesome teachers, great schools. But one of the things that I've seen that happened in Anchorage was I think there was a one time increase of, I want to say, $170 million that should, that was passed. And it'll... You know, the first thing we saw from the superintendent of the largest school district in the state was that's not enough. We need more. You know, they they no. didn't even say they didn't even say thank you for a hundred and seventy million dollar check, which no. Anchorage was probably gonna get, you know, forty million bucks of that. Right. And there and he's already talking about how he wants more money. And quite frankly, he's not even experienced um to talk about anything. He uh fiscal district was closed down in Texas. So he left just in the nick of time, but his school district in Texas, in Houston, was under investigation, was closed down, the school board members were all fired, and the state took over that school district. So Jeez. I don't have, a, yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence in my daughter's superintendent. And in fact, when they walk, my oldest walked across the stage, she goes, Mom, I had to shake the superintendent's hand. And I said, yes, you did. Because that's what you have to do. So it was interesting. I have got another daughter in the school district, but graduates next year, and that's okay. I have a tutor 
that works with my daughters and she's uh, 25 and she's absolutely amazing. And she was in the fight all year against, or all the three years against the assembly. Uh, she was a nurse and we became friends and she's a great um, role model for my daughters and uh, it's been good for them. And not all parents can afford to have a tutor, but I knew for my daughters to be successful that that's what they were going to have to do because they weren't getting and learning those things in the school district. So what can people do that, you know, everyday conservatives, they hear this kind of stuff of $170 million one-time thing, increasing the BSA, you know, by hundreds, maybe thousands. Uh, oftentimes we are unorganized and outmanned because all they yeah. have to do is send one union email and, you know, dozens and dozens of people show up to public testimony. So what can somebody that's sitting in the woods in Kenai do to impact change for being fiscally conservative? You know, what happens is when we, when we have our testimony, a lot of people will call in and I probably did, I think I did the most public testimony at the house and the Senate this year by myself, just with the, education committee. So when people call in, a lot of the opposition, you might say, are people with opposing opinions of myself, stay on the phone lines and tie them up. But when I was on, I made the individual running the phone lines, cut them off. So just hang up on them. Yeah. When the two minutes is up, we're going to go down to probably one minute testimonies. So people need to be able to call in. If you can't say what you need to say in one minute, then I'm sorry, but we need to hear from everybody. And Juno kind of has this niche of where they come out and testify and people think that's the state it's not so we're going to be working on a few things to be able to do better testimony people can write in i wish we could be on the road system i think it would be enlightening for a lot of elected officials and i actually think a lot of them wouldn't run again because <laughs> sometimes they don't want to hear what the public has to say right yeah. so that would be interesting and if we could just get on the road system that would be the best listen as a state legislature we could decide that we actually can just say yes or no. So I think that's something that needs to be brought up. It'll save us a lot of money. We're just looking at session. We don't have to change the capital. But session, people need to be able to address their government without having to spend thousands of dollars to fly in Juno and do it. Yeah, the uh, one of the biggest beefs I have with the state's school system is not their teachers or the schools again we have awesome teachers in schools where i live they talk about a leadership problem and they can't recruit teachers well one of the biggest problems in the state is if you have an adult who has a four-year degree from an accredited university who doesn't happen to have mm -hmm. a teacher certificate they basically have to go back to school and get a master's degree um, to be able to teach in the state of alaska the only thing they can do is sub and so you have a lot of essentially full-time subs in school districts all over the state. And um, if those people had an avenue in which to become accredited teachers, I think we would have a lot less of a leadership problem than we do now. I think so. Uh, I like all, a lot of our educators. Um, the testimony that I heard during those 18 or 19 hours um, was alarming when some of the educator, well, I think there was only one that didn't, but all the other educators, the parents didn't have rights to guide their children. And I would label them as, um, by definition, groomers, where they try to take and separate the children from their family. 
um, the ones that love them and their uh, friends and then put them in a whole new circle. So it's disheartening and we got to stop things like that. I know people don't want to talk about it. They said it's bad politically to speak about it, but it's, it's the facts and we have to address those things. Better teachers, more teachers, um, get them out of just substituting. And you're right, we could do something to be able to bring them in a little bit easier. So you running again, I believe you filed a couple of weeks ago. Um, talk to us about that. Um, are you going to do any events this summer? Where can people go to if they have questions on, you know, somebody lives in your district and they want to hear about, um, you know, why you're running again and some of the things that you um, were excited about accomplishing this year or next year? Yeah, or I would like, I am running again. Um, they could go to allerforalaska.com. I'm excited. There's a few things that I want to do and change to better my district, Eagle River, and to put Alaska on a path that's going to be successful. I'm just one person, but I know with a little bit of time I could do that. Um, it's important that we're able to work with each other, meaning the Democrats and the independents too, but that doesn't mean you have to compromise your values. I was still able to work and get things for my district without compromising those values and I think it's just standing strong and when people respect you 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 actually can get things done I mean I worked with Bryce Edgman to get a few things and it worked I still didn't have to vote for the budget but all those who did um, I have respect for them they're my friends I don't have to agree with them um, but I, I still respect those individuals as we move forward and we have a lot of things to still work on and caucus together on and, and proceed forward so um, what, you know, do you think we're on a fiscal cliff? I know this is a bit of a big question, but, you know, <laughs> there was the working group that happened a year or so ago, when Representative Carpenter worked on it a bunch this year with several folks. You know, I think we hear whispers of, well, the permanent fund is going to be gone unless we do a sales tax or unless we do a this tax. What's your, what's your take on all that talk of the permanent fund being gone unless we do a tax. Um, so I was one of the members on the Ways and Means Committee uh, and Representative Carpenter was bringing his fiscal plan forward. I think this year, this coming up session, we need to make sure that we get all those bills that he and others see as a success, um, voted on and out of committee, move them forward as quick as possible. Um, I don't believe we need a tax at this moment. And the reason why is because if you're going to implement a tax, you've got to have the um, guts to cut things. And I know everybody says, oh, you can't cut. Well, we have to. Yeah. So we need to cut. Then we can build, continue to build up our savings with our dividends and the PFE and move forward. And I'm not willing to do a sales tax until I absolutely 100% know we've done everything else. And our, there's a lot of ways around this that we could do. We can do. And I know others support the sales tax and that's fine, but I, I just don't. We have to be able to cut things in our budget. We, we shouldn't be spending 175 to 250 million on the BSA when they have plenty of funds, um, the basic student allocation, and then take people's dividend. That's, that's not okay. I agree. I, I like the thought of, you know, I talked to a lot of people, well, we just have to do a tax. And they just don't like cutting doesn't even open. It's not even on their agenda. Like it doesn't even reach no. Um, you know, it doesn't even come up. And I think that that's for some reason, I think that 
topic needs to come back loud and proud because I think we still have the ability to cut little things here and there and little cuts can add up to a big thing, you know, yeah. 10 years down the road. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I still think well, that there's possibility uh, to cut, cut, cut. Yeah. I want to say like Representative Cloam had plenty to cut. She couldn't get the support to do it. I had 2 million on the floor, the floor to cut yeah. um, it was a 2020 vote. So it failed, which is disheartening. There was a $242 million cut but I couldn't get the majority of the members in my caucus to go for it. So, and it's not their fault. It's just yeah. how they think and believe. And we're all from different walks. So those cuts could have happened and it just, they didn't. Um, I don't know. It's hard, but when you get shoot down with the cuts, you're only as strong as your weakest leak. Well, I appreciate you bringing those cuts to the floor. And I said, I would say keep doing it because eventually, um, you know, I think you'll get some wins and I think that um, it'd be unfortunate if you give up and I don't think you're the type of person to give up. So I'm excited that you're running again. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, 30 minutes has gone by in a flash. Do you have any last minute thoughts, Representative Allard, before we head off here? Um, I just want to care. I know it's been a long three and four years. I just want to encourage everybody to stay involved, to take a deep breath and we can still do this. We can move forward. It sounds like there's a lot of um, boycotting going around across the country. And there's things in our own state that we could work on. We can repeal ranked choice voting with enough signatures. We're gonna have to do an initiative and get that taken care of. And, you know, I don't blame any of my caucus members for how they voted. Maybe I'm a little disappointed here and there, but I'm sure they're disappointed in me here and there. Stay together and we move forward as a group and we can, we can do better. Awesome. Why, thank you so much for joining us, Representative Allard. And we want to thank everybody that listens, watches, and reads Must Read Alaska. We do this to spread conservative news through all the nooks and crannies of Alaska. And if you want to help keep the lights on here, just go to mustreadalaska.com. On the right hand side, there's a little donate button. We are funded by everyday Alaskans who care about conservative news. We are not funded by some dark web nonprofit money conglomerate. We're funded $5, $10, $100 at a time. So until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thank you so much, Representative Allard. Keep kicking butt.